Great to be with you. <laughs> yeah, seriously, good privilege, you know, great privilege really to come and, and share the word of God with you. And um, I wanted to start really by bringing some greetings as well. So um, Karen and I, we were um, with Mark and Debbie uh, yesterday. And um, they were really just saying how much they, uh, they just love you guys. They love coming over. They love, you know being with you and doing the worship and, and serving you in that way. And um, they, you know, were saying about how you've made them feel so, you know, welcome and loved as well in return. So well done. That's brilliant. And, and thank you for that. And also just to say, um, of course, you've got, um, you know, John and Jill um, over in Fording Bridge this morning. John is preaching the word of God over there. So, you know, I think you can be you know, proud of John and feel like, you know, you're, you're sending out as well and, um, you know, you're part of what's going on and it's, you know, you're bringing a blessing really, being blessed and bringing a blessing and that's great. I wanted to say about uh, the One Church Sunday next week, so a real opportunity for us to get together. I know you guys, this time you guys have to travel, we will do One Church Sundays where, you know, we're coming to you, but um, this time, yeah, come to us in uh, Falling Bridge and Burgate School there, really good to be together, and we also will have um, the congregation from Verwood with us as well, and I just wanted to encourage you guys and say, you know, you have gone through that uh, adoption process, that transition process that you've just been through, they're just at the beginning, um, so you can bring them so much uh, encouragement and so much support, really, um, because they're just, they're just beginning to go through that process now. So, um, you know, and I think you can also kind of think of yourselves as, well, you know, we're not the new kids on the block now. There's some other new kids around, you know. And um, so, uh, yeah, so just feel really, you know, assured in that. Um, so we are in the process of adopting um, Verwood as well, um, bringing them in. And um, there's also Downton as well. You know, we, we had a, a word um, a while ago about not regarding ourselves as a single lane kind of country road, but seeing ourselves really as a four-lane highway. Um, and, um, you know, those four lanes will be Falling Bridge and Wimborne and Verwood and Downton. And we're on our way to, you know, seeing that uh, prophecy over us really being fulfilled um, and it's you know it's great to see we're looking forward uh, with, with Downton so Karen and I uh, along with um, Dale and also Nikki um, who you'll know from running the branch um, you know we're involved in that Downton church plant there and you know we're looking towards having our first probably be a Sunday evening meeting um, in September um, we're doing the cap course now in Downton are really looking to put our roots down and make contact with the community there and build the church there. Um, but yeah, we're looking forward to September, October, November, December doing one um, church uh, Sunday evening meeting, Sunday evening gathering. So, you know, that's a great, great thing to be heading for and planting out there as well. And I wanted to um, bring this word as well. I, I know I, I mentioned this to you last time I was here, but really feeling this very strongly um, so Acts 9, verse 31, Acts 9, verse 31, um, says, The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, so I'm kind of reading Fawning Bridge, Wimborne, Verwood into that. 
enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Um, and uh, Andrew Lawrence was sharing with us an eldership team um, just about how a tree grows and the foliage comes out of the top and then the, um, the roots go down deeper and the trunk strengthens out and um, just encouraging us that, you know, what the visible stuff is at the top, what God is doing amongst us in terms of putting, strengthening our roots and really, you know, bringing, building us up, doing exactly what it says here. So I'm thinking in terms of um, enjoyed peace and I'm just thinking, you know, that, you know what that says to me? That says no controversy, no hassle, no, you know, just, just peace, just enjoying one another's company, one another's fellowship, being happy, being content, being rested, in peace, being built up. And I would really encourage you guys to expect that amongst yourselves. Expect God to be building you up. Expect to be strengthened expect to be expect to feel your perhaps I shouldn't prophesy an increase in girth maybe but <laughs> you know that sense of you know yeah I can take a load here I'm you know this is good I'm feeling strong and you know feel spiritually strong in your faith um, and the church as well generally you know we know what we're doing we'd be doing it well we've got the resources we've got the people you know it's, it'd be good being built up, being built up in the Word of God as well, being rich in the Word of God. And going on, I like that phrase, going on. There's no sense of, oh, we've arrived, we're settled. No, we're journeying, we're going on, going on. In the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what that says to me is, you know, the presence of God amongst us. When we're gathering together, just feeling that sense of wonder and awe and just knowing the presence of God. You know, it's like the Father just drawing us in, wrapping his arms around us, and that sense of comfort of the Spirit, being feeling secure, feeling you belong in, knowing you're loved. And it continued to increase. So again, you know, our, our hearts really are crying out for that God would increase us with new believers. Let's have, and let's be praying for, and let's be expecting new people to be born again amongst us in all of those congregations. New folk coming in. Um, let's, you know, be looking for that and expecting that because I feel that's what the Lord wants to do with us. You know, it's not just about, um, it's not just about being that tree. It's about being fruitful and it's about impacting the communities around us and seeing people saved and one for the Lord Jesus. So I think that's a verse we will Come back to again and again. Make a note of it. Mark it up in your Bibles. Acts 9.31. And, you know, let your prayers be directed that way. So when you're praying for the church, pray along those lines. Pick up those and pray along those lines. Um, look for that. Okay. That's enough of that. Mark. Chapter 3. So we are working our way steadily through Mark. And we're looking at Mark chapter 3. And... You know, to be honest, it's a little bit of a bitty preach, um, so we're just going to pick up some bits and pieces as we go, um, and then we're going to go on and, and um, we're going to worship together and pray and minister to one another and spend some time taking the Lord's Supper together. But, starting um, verse 7, we're doing verse 7 through to verse 30 of uh, Mark chapter 3. I hope you're enjoying Mark's Gospel. 
Uh, I think it's a great. Um, I think it's a great gospel to be going through. I'm just going to do through this in three parts. So the first part here is verses seven to twelve. Let me read these. I've got the New American Standard. You'll have, you know, different versions, slightly different phrases, but um, the underlying truth will be the same. Jesus withdrew to the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed. And also from Judea and from Jerusalem and from Idumea and beyond the Jordan and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd so that they would not crowd him. For he had healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. So Jesus is no longer teaching in the synagogues in Galilee, but he's now operating what I think we would call an open-air ministry. Uh, but it's an open-air ministry without tents, by the look of it. <laughs> so let's assume this is the summertime here in, in Galilee. Um, they're out there in the countryside. Um, he's often coming down to the lakeside, where you know, it would literally be a bit cooler right by the lake. Um, and you know, we can see just the sense in terms of him standing in a boat that's just put out a little bit from shore. He's unable to address that whole crowd without them pressing in on him. You know, and you've got the old acoustic effect of the, his voice being carried across the water and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a mixture of being very practical about it, but recognizing these huge numbers that are gathering. Now, um, I just got a, an atlas out and had a quick look you know, at these places that are being listed here. You know, that is about a 90-mile radius. People are coming from 90 miles around. And you've got to put yourself in, a, you know, in a, a, you know, a, a, an old-fashioned world here where people are traveling by foot. Some will have um, horses to ride on. But you're looking at maybe three days' journey to get to him. And it puts that, we're not there yet, but when we get to the feeding of the 5,000, it puts that a little bit in context. Jesus' concern about the welfare of them. Because, you know, they've, they've traveled for three days. They've got nothing with them. They've all come from a wide area. Um, why? Because they heard. They heard about all that he was doing, and they came to him. And I just, you know, oh, my heart just goes, Lord, I want days like that where people all around hear about what God is doing. So they don't hear about the church or what this preaches, they hear about what God is doing. And they want to come and they gather in great numbers. Those are days of, of revival. Those are you know, days I'm looking for and longing for in my heart. And I just want to say, you know, there's no marketing strategy they're not delivering leaflets, you know, in, 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 the, you know, in the streets around. You know, people are, you know, God has got his own marketing. That's what I want to say. God has got his own marketing. And we, we, read this, we read this when we read accounts of great revivals in the past that people are coming from, you know, the guys that are organizing, I don't know how they're, where they're coming from. How do they know anything about it? And people travel and travel. Um, so, you know, 
Let's look for that. Heard about all that he was doing and came to him. Jesus himself says, doesn't he? It's in John 12, 32. If I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And yes, there's a metaphor there in terms of we think about him being lifted up in terms of being crucified. But we also think about, you know, if we put the Lord Jesus in the center, if we praise him, if we have, you know, if we are Christ-centered as a church, we put him first, he will draw folk in. So we don't put ourselves first, we don't put, you know, our works first, we put the Lord Jesus first. And we talk about him excitedly and we say how great it is to know him and what he's doing. And people were here and people will come. Uh, verse 10, um, he'd healed many with the result that those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Um, his teaching was accompanied by miraculous healings um, to authenticate his divinity. We, we, we looked at um, chapter 2 where Jesus is really, really clear when he, you know, the paralytic is, is lowered through the roof and he says, doesn't he, you know, you know your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and Pharisees say, well, you know, that's blasphemy. Who can forgive sin except God alone? And then he's just very, very clear with them. He says, yeah, fine. So, so that you can know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, which is easier to say, stand up and walk or your sins are forgiven. So that you'll know I'll do this miracle. So these miracles are really clear to authenticate um, his teaching and the authority with which that comes. And authority is, you know, the, the, the crux of the matter that we build to in this um, chapter. Um, I want you to notice as well and be encouraged just how, how freely the healing power of God floats from the Lord Jesus. I think we are familiar, and we will get to it in Mark, the specific account of the woman who, you know, had a hemorrhage for 12 years and she reached out and touched his cloak. Um, but I want you to see here, and it's mentioned other times in Mark as well, this is happening all the time. People are reaching out to touch him, and they are being healed. And um, I just want you to know that, you know, there's, uh, that that healing power flows from the Lord Jesus without restraint, really, without, um, you know, without restraint. And people are being healed all around him, touching him. And pressing forward for that, um, and then we've got this account here, and you know we've still got the the you know the demons jump in as well. The demons jump a lot here in in Mark um, for the first the first uh, few chapters here, um, and Jesus is just he's not accepting any kind of um, acclamation from them. Um, you know, basically it's it's shut up and get out is basically the way he he approaches them. Um, and yet it seems, you know, I'm struck by the fact that they seem unable to help themselves. As soon as they are in his presence, as soon as they recognize who he is, they have to cry out, you are the Son of God, the Holy One. Um, good. Let's move on now um, to um, our next little passage here, um, verses 13 down to 19. Uh, he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach 
and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So this is a, an account of the calling of the twelve. Um, we get very parallel accounts in uh, Matthew and Luke. Um, I want you to really note the order here. We, we talked about this last time as well. Um, he appointed them um, so that they would be with him. And he would send them out to preach and that they would have authority to cast out demons and in the parallel versions also to heal sickness and disease. So that's very much the order to note. Um, first of all, to be with him then to speak for him, to bring the word of God, and then the signs and the wonders that follow that. Um, and, um, you know, it's true for us as well. We are called, first of all, to be with him. That is our first and greatest calling. So, you know, folk worry about what their calling is, what their ministry is, but... You know, that's the calling that we all have, to be with him. In, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, um, it says about... Let me just find it, because I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Let's get that. Um, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know that? You've been called into fellowship. That's what this being a Christian is about. That's what that calling is about. You're called to be with him. You're called into fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Get that bit right, and then you'll get right about what am I sent out to do. But first of all, go and be with him. And if you're not sure about what your calling is and what should I be doing and what should I mean, I mean, I'm glad, you know, you're thinking about how can I serve, how can I help, that's good. But if you're not sure about it, go and be with him because that's stage one, that's step one, that's where it begins. And we keep coming back to that as well. You keep coming back to being with him and then being sent out to preach and to cast out demons and heal the sick. Raise the dead, in fact, it says in Luke as well, doesn't it? So there we go. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll read it again. If, if you're looking for miracles, and you're looking for healings, you're looking for miracles, where are all the miracles? That's what Gideon says, isn't it? Where are all his miracles? If you're looking for all the miracles, well, let's attend to the word that's being preached. Let's be lifting up Christ, because the miracles follow the word. So let's get, And if you're looking for the word to be preached with authority, like Jesus is preaching you know, then let's be with him first. Let's be with him first. And in, there we go, I've said all that. Right, I will just say a little bit about the 12 because um, they're different, um, there are some different accounts of who these 12 are. We've always got Simon called Peter and Peter's always first in Mark. And in fact, from this point onwards, he's only called Peter. The name Simon is dropped and it's just Peter. Um, the idea, incidentally, of having a couple of different names, just so that you understand the world in which these guys lived, um, they were um, 
they were uh, Jews in uh, a land that was occupied by the Romans. Um, they were, there was histor historically, it had been occupied by the Greeks. So most people would speak Greek, and then they'd also have Latin for Rome, and then these guys would also have their local Aramaic dialect. So um, Mark himself, I mean, he's John Mark, the gospel, the writer of this gospel. Mark is his Roman name, um, and he writes from Rome, and he's pretty much writing to the Roman world, so he's Mark. But he's also John. <laughs> when he's back at his mum's house in Jerusalem, he's John. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's quite common. It's, it sounds a bit weird to us, doesn't it? If I introduce myself as, my name's Tim, but you can call me David. It's like, well, well what is your name then, you know? Um, Interesting to note, well, well, we'll get there in a minute, we won't know it yet. Right, there we go, so there's Simon, called Peter. Um, there's James and John, the sons of Deb Zebedee. James is martyred in Acts 12 too. Um, so he's not got many chapters to go here, really, is he? So he's the first, he's the first of the 12 down. Um, James and John, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. Says something maybe about their, what do you think, kind of a flash anger kind of personality, you know, suddenly they're all calm and peaceful and then Wah! something like that. There's Andrew, who's Simon's brother. There's Philip. There's Bartholomew. Bartholomew is called Nathaniel in the Gospel of John, right? There's Thomas, who's also called Didymus because he's a twin. Thomas and Gemini for the female. They're the, they're the names of the twins. Didymus means twin. There's Matthew, who's called Levi in Mark as well, um, and in Luke, he is the tax collector. Um, he, uh, so that's Matthew. Then there's, then there's James, the son of Alphaeus. He always gets mentioned, James, the son of Alphaeus. Then there's Thaddeus. I think he's probably the most uh, challenged in terms of his identity. So there's Thaddeus in Old English. So if you get your King James Bible out, you might find that he is called Lebeus, so that's an old English translation. Um, he's also known as Judas, the son of James. That is James, the son of Alphaeus. So he's Judas, the son of James in Luke. And he's Judas, brackets, not Iscariot in John. So, I mean, how, how would you introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Judas, not Iscariot. Just... <laughs> And then, of course, there is Judas Iscariot. Um, he's the only guy who, for my money, has got a straightforward first name and surname, isn't it? You know? Judas Iscariot, um, who's also introduced as the betrayer, who would betray him. So there's your 12, and there's where you get some changes in names. Um, and, of course, Judas gets replaced by Matthias in um, Acts chapter 1. Right, last part here. A great topic, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So from verse 20 to 30, he came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him for they were saying, he's lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub. And he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan 
has risen up against himself. He is divided. He cannot stand, but he is finished. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sin shall be forgiven, the Son of Man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So I'm just going to say, note verse 21 um, about um, Jesus' family coming to take him into custody. We will pick that up, or whoever is preaching next time, will pick that up um, next time. So I'm just going to say, note that, we'll pick it up next time. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem, verse 22, were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And again, at verse 30, because they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So there's your two kind of brackets, as it were, that, you know, that, 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 that um, bracket off this, this particular passage. That's what's going on. Um, now, the scribes that come down from Jerusalem to investigate, this is a, so there is a great revival going on, there's a great work of God coming on, and these now are the professionals. These are the professional church people that are coming down to investigate, okay? So they're coming with a different mentality, a different head. It seems as if um, they're immediately present because you know, they're there, we're in this, we're in chapter 2, we're in this house, nobody can get in, yeah, but the scribes are there, they've managed to get in, so they always seem to be in the front there, and you can hear them kind of nattering amongst themselves, and Jesus is overhearing them sometimes, or sometimes by a word of knowledge, he knows what they're thinking, and he challenges them, and of course he challenges them, you know, partly for their sake, but also that the others will hear that dialogue that's going on. So this is addressed to them, but it's also very much for others to hear. Um, and, you know, what they're doing here is they cannot, they can't argue with the fact that there's the spiritual authority. And they are picking up very much the fact that the demons are jumping and he's casting out the demons. They're seeing that very much as a sign of spiritual authority and they're wanting, they're needing to explain it away. They need to come up with a reason why uh, this man has this authority. And so they come up with this, you know, bizarre approach, really. And Jesus uses a parable um, to address this. Um, we, we see here a lot in Mark. He teaches in parables. You know, and that's not, that's not, you know, teaching in a parable doesn't mean that he, you know, once upon a time and, you know, they tells a story. Um, he's just using the simple analogy about, how can Satan cast out Satan? You know, that's ridiculous, isn't it? That's what you're saying. Um, and he uses this idea of, um, he said, you know, if, you, if, you, if, if there's a, a strong man um, and you want to rob him, you've got to deal with the strong man first. You've got to bind the strong man if you're going to rob his goods. And so, you know, by extension that, what he's saying is, you know, Satan is bound and now we're plundering his house. Now we're, now we're taking back the stuff that he's, he's robbed. We're taking that back now. We're taking his land. 
So, you know, it's, uh, so what Jesus is saying is it's obvious. <laughs> it's obvious that, that you know, these, these, these casting out of demons that's going on um, is evidence that, um, that his authority is greater than the devil's. That's plain to everybody to see. It's very plain to the crowds that are crowding around. It's not difficult, but the scribes are coming, you know, very much with an intellectual head on and very much with an agenda to um, counter this kind of authority that they're seeing in Jesus. Um, and uh, this happens quite. This happens quite a bit in 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 the Gospels. Um, this this kind of countering that goes on. Um, I'm just restraining myself here. <laughs> um, right, the other thing I wanted you to know is um, Jesus is also very clear about all manner of blasphemies against the Father and Son will be forgiven. Okay? I want you to get that because I don't want you to worry about blasphemy um, and feel somehow you need to step in and defend God, all right? I know that it is hurtful when people blaspheme, when they blaspheme against the Father, when they blaspheme against the Son, you know, which you know you, you, you hear all of the time. I think it's fascinating how, you know, you watch a, a program on the telly and they'll warn you, you know, about this, that, and the other, um, but actually, it can be full of blasphemy, and there's no warning about that. They don't even see it, don't even think that matters, you know. And sometimes, I think as Christians, we can feel like, well, you know, there's a lot of concern about not blaspheming against Allah, um, and, you know, people getting upset about that, but nobody seems to notice the fact that they're just blaspheming against, you know, Yahweh all of the time. <laughs> Doesn't make any difference. Um, so all manner will be forgiven. So, you know, I don't know. Back in my childhood, Monty Python's Life of Brian came out. And, um, you know, churches were um, picketing the, the cinemas um, and, you know, protesting against the blasphemy there. I mean, more recently, the Da Vinci Code, perhaps, same sort of thing. Or, or, or um, The Last Temptation of Christ, um, if you don't know what they are, that's fine. You don't need to know what they are. But, um, you know, these kind of films that, that, that come out, and if you contrast that against, you remember the Charlie Hebdo um, affair in Paris where there was a satirical magazine that had published some cartoons um, of, um, uh, you know, some anti-Islamic cartoons. And uh, so there was, a, you know, there was an, uh, an act of Islamic um, terrorism um, people got killed, you know, because, you know, there, so, I, and I can remember when that happened, I can remember, actually, I was preaching that Sunday morning and just saying, you know what, we serve uh, a God who forgives all blasphemy like that. So, you know, so don't feel like you've got to step in and um, defend God. He's got big shoulders. And what we don't hear, we never hear any blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right? So enough about all of that. Lessons for us, Okay. Be careful not to rush to judgment uh, on different moves of God. I'll use that as a kind of inverted commas, all right? Moves of God. So, for example, if I said the Toronto blessing, maybe some of my slightly older contemporaries would 
know what I mean by that. So there was a, there was a move of God called the Toronto Blessing. Um, I don't know what, 20 years ago, maybe 30. <laughs> um, a, lot of, a lot of worry in the churches about, was this God or was this something demonic? What was going on here? A lot of discussion about all of this. I just say, you know, and I, I would say, let's expect and look for plenty of moves of God in the future. You know, don't rush to judgment. You don't have to come to a judgment on those things, you know. If these things are from God, that will be apparent. And if they're not, that'll also be apparent as well. Just let things run their course. Not, let's not start, you know, declaring, you know, well, that is God and that's the devil. Let's not go that way because you don't know what, you know, you don't know which way you're going. So let's be a little bit more, you know, be a bit more careful about those sort of things. Um, we know really the signs of the Spirit of God being present. Liberty. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. So are people being set free? Is there uh, a drive to repentance? Are we finding people being driven? Because, you know, the, it's the Spirit of God that brings us to repentance. Are we seeing that kind of thing? Are we seeing faith? Are we seeing people transformed into the image of Christ? Well, then, then we're seeing the Holy Spirit, aren't we? You know, Let's go for those things. We know that. We know that. We're children of the light. We can recognize the light when we see it. Um, and also, let's not be professionals. John Piper has actually written a book uh, entitled, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. Okay? I just want to say, we don't have to put that professional head on. I think you know, the scribes were coming with that kind of, well, you know, we're the religious professionals and you know, we'll make the assessments here. You know, just not do that with one another. Let's not have that kind of, oh, I know about these things. Let me just see now and I'll give a ruling on this. You know, let's not be like that. Let's just you know, be brothers and sisters together and... You know, and, and, you know, yeah, ask for some wisdom, be wise about these things. But, you know, we're, we're not professionals. Um, it is, church can be a bit messy. It's family. How many of you know family can be messy? Yeah. <laughs> so church is messy sometimes. And that's, that's great. You know, it's all in the mix. It's all good. Um, right, that's it, really. There's no real... Um, I mean, what do I do now? Do I say, everybody who's blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, will you please stand up, you know? <laughs> so there's no real ministry point. Um, so I'm just going to um, say that's, that's that bit of Mark dealt with. Um, I would say, yeah, well, what do I do, you know? I'd say probably the take-homes are, remember that call for discipleship. Be with him and then be sent out, bring the word and bring signs and wonders um, and also remember and long for and look for those days where people hear about him from far and wide. They hear about him and they come to see him and they come to receive from him. And also that take home about you know, how freely available um, that healing power of, of Christ is, how it just flowed from him um, without, without restraint really. Okay, good. Back to you, Jackie.